we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We want them talking trash to Goliath. We want them building a boat and collecting animals. Everybody thinks they're crazy, and they are. I'm your huckleberry. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Behold, a pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. Can you read, my son? Well, that depends. Can you go fight in the shade? Repent or perish. You know your places. God be with you all. All for all and one for one, then, I guess. Stone Mountain Media. Ale to the King. Welcome back to another episode of Stone Mountain Media. I'm Dave, and I'm here today with Aaron Birch of Gypsy EDC, a local uh, knife-making company uh, in southern Idaho, and uh, goals to talk all things knives today. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, so first, a little bit of your personal background, and then we'll get into knives. You became a Christian. Uh, well, you believe you were born again while in prison. Is that correct? So it's hard for me to put an exact time on it. Um, so I ascribe to a Calvinist doctrine or Reformed doctrine. Um, so when I became regenerate versus, like, was I a Christian beforehand? That's in God's hands. Um, but I will say my life changed dramatically while I was incarcerated. Do you have an opinion on the, uh, uh, you, you got some people who more strongly emphasize the objective nature of the covenant and some people who lean into the subjective, uh, uh, I guess, personal awareness of rebirth, regeneration. You grew up a Christian? I grew up in a Christian home. Were you I, baptized? I was baptized. How do you probably, think through those things then? Yeah, probably about nine years old. Okay. I think I was baptized. Um, so I believe that you are preordained from the beginning of time that God knows who his sheep are and that the subjective nature of it, the emotional aspect of it, um, will necessarily flow from that, but I don't believe that's the benchmark. So how do you process, uh, this is completely just a rabbit trail, Christian rabbit trail. How do you process personally, uh, assurance of salvation? How do you think through that? Where do you find yourself practically, uh, looking? Work, working out my salvation with fear and trembling? Yeah. If I'm not being disciplined and I'm not being convicted of my sin, that starts to scare the shit out of me. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah, 100%. And uh, you... Uh, okay, so let's just go back to... Uh, you at least start taking Christianity seriously. Yeah, so I have a moment. So... <clears throat> I was committed to a, a racist ideological lifestyle pri okay. even prior to being incarcerated. I found that to be empowering. Um, and as somebody who had no power and uh, was could have been a victim, one of the ways that I took power 
was by embracing uh, racially aware. I, I looked around, most of the people that I was having conflict with were brown. Um, I was white. They were racist. I figured I better be racist too, and I better be a better one. So, that's news to me. I thought you were in MS-13. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I was not a member of Mara Salvatrucha, but um, I did know some of them, uh, met some of them. And so the long and short of it for me as a young teenager, probably like 13, 14 years old, um, it was a way for me to uh, express anger and then also to empower myself uh, in an obviously an inappropriate way. And so that led to um, just a, a lifestyle of violence. And, uh, you know, sin tends to feed on sin. And so it's like the more you sin, the more sins seem to become attracted to you. And you just find yourself in an ever-deepening pool of crap. And that's where I found myself. So drugs, alcohol, um were also a big component of that. I was involved in some criminal activity, uh, ended up going to jail. Um, and while I'm there serving a sentence, clicked up with um, other people who hold this same worldview, uh, all of a sudden God grabs me and convicts me one I'm on the path to hell and two I couldn't half-ass it so like either God's truth is truth all truth and I have to change my life radically um or like don't play don't don't pretend and so it was not an easy thing to do but I had to just let everybody know I'm not down with this anymore. And the real bad thing is that I was actually um, serving time with a co-defendant who I'd kind of brought into that lifestyle. And it was heartbreaking because he persisted in that lifestyle um, after my heart had been changed. And so uh, that was an example. Down to this day. Um, the last time I had contact with him. Yeah. And how was it received when you made it clear that you were no longer down with that lifestyle? Um, it was not like I didn't get a standing. <laughs> I didn't get a standing ovation. Yeah, I didn't get a bunch of people going like, "How brave of you!" Yeah, like, congratulations, that's fantastic. But did you have um, to physically defend yourself from that point on? No, there there was acceptance from people because I was already doing some time cold on somebody. Yeah. I was doing some time on somebody else's behalf. I kept my mouth shut. I didn't share anybody's business. Um, people knew that I was solid, even if I didn't yeah. no, no longer believed just in from that. the man code, you weren't a snitch. Yeah. You had shown yourself to be firm Yep, and that at least carried you through yeah. keeping space. Now the, there were a couple guys, um, a couple black guys that had problems with me. And so I didn't have any group protection anymore. Um, so that was a little bit difficult to navigate. How did you navigate that? I really just prayed and prepared to defend myself. So that was the beginning of your knife making career. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly, but, um, I certainly, I believe in self-defense. Um, 
I believe in the law of non-aggression or the principle of non-aggression. Um, so I believe that no violence should be initiated in a coercive manner. Um, but absolutely, if it comes down to, to defense, to vigorously defend yourself to the best of your ability with the best tools you have available. Your awakening in prison, were you reading the Bible and then that was a consequence or you were thinking and God just came upon you while you're thinking using a previous oh, experience? Oh, no, I was, I, was running, I was running hard in the opposite direction. Like, like a prodigal son coming to my senses. Moment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was no... I mean, that's why even though it was actually prison, uh, prison fellowship and some people from Calvary Chapel, which obviously not reform, um, were instrumental in, in my discipleship process. One thing that we really miss, I feel like, in the reformed tradition is evangelism and discipleship and outside of the structure of the, the church building. Um, and so Calvary Chapel, to their credit, even though I don't theologically agree with everything, um, they were there, and I was mightily discipled by some Calvary Chapel guys. Very, very appreciative. You think it's fair to say that in church circles that correctly emphasize the, I guess, supremacy, the spiritual supremacy of the gathered church on the Lord's Day around the Lord's Supper— uh, in, in those circles, you're, you're very rarely going to find any kind of emphasis on discipling relationships, quote unquote, discipling relationships. And then the other end of the spectrum groups that really don't emphasize the church at all, whether it's Calvary chapel that as churches don't really emphasize the church cause they don't have membership or more evangelical ministry, parachurch kind of circles really focus on discipling relationships to their credit, yet you you think that's a fair kind of spectrum to draw out, and then you think there's a group that does both well? Uh, yeah, I think that's a totally fair characterization, generally speaking. Um, and so we're idol factories, right? We make idols out of everything. I hear and, people do that. And the, the, the worst idols are the good idols, the things that are good. Family, church, uh, communion, community. When we make idols out of those because they're not immediately and easily identifiable as being idolatrous, they're really, really insidious. What, what would it look like to make, you said communion, so assuming I'm not a papist and don't believe in the Eucharist, what does it look like to make communion an idol? Uh, that's why I said community right after, because when I say communion, I'm talking about community, cool. not the elements of the table. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'll give you an example. So I belong to a church, a reformed evangelical church and was confused why everybody else wasn't clamoring to join this church. And it was, I had arrogance. I had arrogance that we had all the answers that we were doing everything right. Yeah. And why wasn't everybody else, you know, knocking the doors down to join us. And, um, there was a series of events that unfolded. I left that church and I was, after I left the church, I was totally convicted of being, completely arrogant even though at the time i would have said no no you know there's no arrogance here this is we're just right just recognize <laughs> right yeah just acknowledging that we were absolutely right it's not arrogance if i'm just recognizing what god has done uh, absolutely and so um man as humans we have to be aware of our sin nature 
And keep that in mind with everything. Everything that we're doing, this interview that I'm doing, I could be doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, I could be doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons, or I could be doing the right thing for the right reasons. That's why I do nothing. <laughs> there you go. And I pray that I'm doing the right thing for the right reason, that I'm seeking to bring glory to Christ and um, and, and better, you know, the, the people that might hear this. Yeah. Um, before get into some more technical things you know i got a buddy uh up in moscow really uh genuine christian the sharpest thinker i know very high-powered impressive guy not in a hoity-toity unable to actually walk on asphalt kind of way he has a semi-pacifist position Mm -hmm. where you know particularly he is not going to use violence to defend himself if he knows someone is using a violence against him or his due to their Christianity. What would you say to that guy? Um, so I actually struggled with that. Uh, I struggled with pacifism. And then I was convicted that, maybe not convicted is the right word, convinced that when, so typically what people are going to reference when they say, when when they are asserting a pacifist Christian worldview is turn the other cheek. Uh, when you look into the etymology and exegete that passage, what Jesus is talking about is if you have an obligation or a, owe a debt to somebody or somebody actually has a legitimate claim against you, don't fight that. Uh, if somebody, if you've helpful. done something that deserves you to get slapped in the face, then take it like a man. Okay, it's not about some Bend guy... over and turn the other cheek. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's not about somebody walking up, uh, uh, slapping you, and then you uh, just falling down and cowering in the corner. And then we can take it further, right? Okay, what if it's not slapping you? What if it's raping your wife in front of you? Does well, that's, that's what, uh, you know, that's where the issue comes with guys like John Piper, you know, who's got... To his credit, he insists in a lot of areas on consistent uh, idealism. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But, Consistently uh, illogical. But you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm obviously convinced it would not be a sin. And, and this is probably... Not only would it not be a sin to defend your wife, it, it would be a sin to not defend well, your wife. Yeah, but it's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, to... I guess if Piper was a big authority in my life, he's not. But if he if he were to be, then it's like, yeah, I'll let God sort that one out. It, it, I don't want to be flipping about sin, but it's like, yeah, it's not going to happen. You're not going to do that to, to me or mine. Right. And, and not just to me or mine, right? Because if you were walking down the street and you saw a 300-pound, 6'5 guy beating the shit out of a kid and you didn't step in, in my opinion, you would be complicit in allowing that. Um, you wouldn't have directly allowed or directly caused it to happen, but tacitly, certainly you gave your approval for that to happen by passing by and doing nothing. So the problem, yeah, the problem I have there is how far do I take that? Um, cause, uh, you know, so you've got a situation where there's that kind of situation. There's relatively theoretically equal power. I don't have... I'm, you know, I'm probably 180-ish. So, obviously, I don't have equal power to the 300-pound 6'5 guy. I'm 4'5". <laughs> it doesn't really help, 
you know, but I can really come around his ankles, you know, get his Achilles <laughs> there you go. with your knives. Now, I have a gun, so I would just shoot him. Take that. Absolutely. Now, but when you have an obvious power difference, you know, if we're going to use the super cliche moral situation or ethical case study, you know, if like Nazis are dragging someone away. And, and it's, oh, well, people don't keep, people keep not coming back. Well, look at these free shoes I'm getting. Like, oh, this is strange. I probably should stop this guy from getting taken away. Right. Well, uh, you know, that guy's probably going to say, well, what am I going to accomplish? We're both going to go down. I actually can understand that guy not doing anything to protect that person who's getting taken away by a group of Nazis for the same reason that, I tell you what, I don't do anything to stop those babies from getting killed at Planned Parenthood. Right, so I hold a sign. Well, good for me. La di da. What does that do? Yeah, I would say that there's a hierarchy of responsibility. Sure. Right? So a Venn diagram. But it happens in front of me if I happen to go there. No, I understand that. Um, you're a single. You're a single guy. I'm not. Yeah. I have young kids. I have a wife. My primary responsibility is to them. Yeah. Um, so for the same reason that I wouldn't, I'm trying to think of something that I wouldn't do. Um, I wouldn't – oh, I wouldn't take a contracting job over in Afghanistan. Yeah. So they were paying top dollar for electricians over there, but the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, right? I'd have to leave my wife. I'd have to leave my kids, make a lot of money, um, but I wouldn't be able to care for my family in the same way. Um, and so for me, it's the same thing. One, uh, God never condemned other cultures for sacrificing their children. Um, you don't see him – well, doesn't he, um, like in Leviticus or something, he talks about how the land threw up these nations prior to uh, the Israelites coming in, and he lists some of the same sins, sodomy, killing their kids. Yeah, so... Eddie you, Robles pointed that out, you, talking about those issues. Yeah, what I, what I would say is he never, nowhere in Scripture does he speak that we know of directly to these cultures, maybe Nineveh would be the exception. Oh, so with he, Jonah. he's talking to his people about them. Right. Not, okay. Okay. Um, and so, um, just like the Amalekites were sacrificing their children and you don't see God saying, Hey, quit doing that. He does come to the Jews and he does say, don't do that. Like they're doing it. Um, I would say that even though nationally um, we're Americans and the people that are sacrificing their children are Americans, I would say culturally and, and first, I'm a Christian. Um, and so when, when those people are, are sacrificing their children to convenience um, or selfishness or whatever they're, they're doing it for, I actually don't feel... Uh, a strong conviction to stop that. Um, I recognize it's murder, but I don't feel the same way that I would if I were to, to see, you know, like the church embrace that completely, something like that. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. Yeah. They, they're helping you in your demographic agenda. Yeah. In a way. How sad is that? Yeah. Well, it's, 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 uh, I mean, figure out what to do practically with the psalm, you know, celebrating the enemies dashing their own babies. Because it's mm -hmm. like, all right, well, those babies haven't done anything. Yeah, those imprecatory psalms are on an there's individual. There's a lot of, lot of, lot of work, a lot of mental yeah. work. Um, 
to, to go into those and actually like really do a deep dive on them. And that gets back to the whole objective subjective really because those babies individually subjectively are pure, quote unquote pure. Obviously we're both Calvinists, yada, yada, yada. Right. Objectively, they are Deserving guilty, of death. Deserving of death because they're Malachites, they're Moabites. Yeah. You know. Right. When God commands genocide. Yeah. Like absolute genocide not even just the people all their animals yeah when he commands saul to wipe out a people what do you do with that if you know that objectively god is good and righteous um it it, it requires some serious serious thought yeah some, some serious reflection and work putting some work in yeah um so when you uh, gain your freedom and you're an industrious guy, where's the steps from you gaining your freedom to you starting your own knife-making company? Yeah, so um, there, it was a, there's a lot of time in between that. So we're okay. talking about like, you know, 2002 um, is when I got out uh I just went straight to this like straight and narrow path. Well, so, real quick, uh you were so you were in prison in two thousand one. Uh what was the who had the best nine eleven take while you were in prison? Oh man, it was crazy. So like there was there was a uh, major amount of unity even like with everybody, uh except the the few Muslims <laughs> there they're pretty ecstatic. Um, and then slowly there were the Nortenos. One of the Norteño shot callers was like, oh, you know, America finally got what it deserved. Something like that. And that caused a lot of outrage. Um, it was weird because when it happened, um, there was actually like correctional officers in tears this one gal in particular she was in tears she had family in new york we were all expecting the west coast to get hit like, sure uh, immediately afterwards sure. so um we were kind of like you know okay you know not, not that a plane would land here but like if it happens what are we going to do kind of a thing um so went a little bit into survival mode and then when we realized that it wasn't going to really continue um, that it was just the, the East Coast thing. Um, all of a sudden, people started immediately going back to how it was on September 10th. Mm -hmm. um, and so things are like that when you're dealing with unregenerate souls. You know, there's no atheists in foxholes. I'm sure you've heard that one a bunch of times. But as well, soon as they get out. Yeah. yeah. As, soon yeah, as, yeah, yeah. as soon as Where's it's Where's the closest brothel? Right, right back to... You know, you're either atheism or practical atheism if you do believe in some other thing out yeah. there. Well, I'm spiritual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I'm spiritual when it's convenient or, you know, when I'm scared of dying, I'm spiritual. And so we have a tendency to do that when even when people, you know, are on their deathbeds and they, yeah. don't, they don't believe in God. They're they really want to believe in something. Yeah. Um, and so they start grasping at anything really. Um, we want those answers before we're on our deathbed, right? We want to be secure 
and our belief. And so it's good to test your belief, right? All the time. And if I found out Christianity was untrue, uh, I wouldn't persist in it. I'd find something else that was true. Yeah, like Islam. <laughs> yeah, uh, except... Uh, I know. love goats. <laughs> Is- I love goats. <laughs> Islam, um, there's just so many things in Islam from an apologetic standpoint that are unreconcilable to the natural world uh, that I ha- I I wouldn't go that direction. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which direction I'd go, but it wouldn't be It that wouldn't way. be that. Uh, okay, so you're you're out in 2002. Yep. And you're, you, when did you start the company? So uh, maybe it wasn't 2002. Maybe it was 2003. Um, my memory is not the best. That's a sign of old age. Yeah, and I am getting old. I'm in my 40s now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, right there behind yeah, you, man. Death, death is just right <laughs> around the corner for me. The Grim Reaper. <laughs> yep, hanging on my shoulder. Um, Double-edged. So I, I started doing I went back to work in construction. So my dad was an electrical contractor. I'd done construction uh, as a teenager for him. And I uh, went back to doing general construction. Did that for... A couple years went back to actually working for my dad um and got married in 2005 love my life uh absolute where'd you meet your wife if women could be studs i would say she was a stud in a total feminine way which is oxymoronical but um just an awesome woman awesome woman and i met her uh through a mutual acquaintance sweet Uh, he was or she was friends with his wife and, um, yeah, just a great, great woman stuck by me through a lot of ups and downs. Got married in 2005. I had already planned to leave California as soon as I was legally able to leave California. I had a great PO, um, who helped me navigate the legal system in regards to getting an expungement for my record, getting crimes or convictions reduced down to misdemeanors and to start that process rolling, which is fantastic. Um, super, super helpful. Her name was Yolanda. Uh, a lot of people didn't like her cause she was strict. Like if you were going to, if you were going to do what you said you were going to do, she would, she'd be there in your corner. She'd help you. Um, if you weren't, she'd bust your ass like lickety split. Um, Good for her. Yeah, she didn't play around. Tough love. Yeah, fantastic lady. Um, I owe her a huge debt of gratitude. So she helped me nav- navigate those legal hurdles. Um, at 2005, I had discharged. I was married. And we picked up everything and moved to Idaho. Why? Why did you want to leave California as soon as you could, and why Idaho? Um, we were committed to having children. We were committed to homeschooling those children. Um, and Idaho was a state that allows a really um, a lot of latitude for edu- for home education. And so, and it's still close enough to California, you know, it'd be like a day trip to get back and visit family, have family come and visit us. So we were looking at Nevada, Idaho, and Oregon as the three states. And then just economically, we couldn't afford to do what we wanted to do in California. Uh, My wife was working, I was working, and in terms of being able to have some land, um, have 
have Kelsey stay at home with the kids. That just wasn't realistic to do in California. And so Oregon economy was just in the shitter. Um, so that Even in was, 2005? Yeah. So Oregon, unfortunately, um, is really, unless you're in high tech, it doesn't have a lot to offer, right? You're going to go to like Portland um, and do high tech. Or lumber. But logging wasn't big in Oregon, even in 2005. Huh. Yeah. So the EPA. Environmentalists. Yeah, environmentalist yeah, yeah. wackos what have a come waste. in. Oh, tremendous waste. It's insane what we do. the entire south of, of Oregon, right, is just prime land for logging. Oh, just beautiful temperate rainforest. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, lumber out the ass. Yeah. And what's crazy to me, quick rabbit trail, is based on the environmental policy that we've put in place as a nation worshiping creature creation rather than the creator right we've caused these huge fuel loads to build up so you've got this rangeland yeah, that yeah, they yeah. don't want us to graze yeah, right, right? and we get this huge fuel buildup we've got this timberland that they don't want them to come in and log or even just people coming in and cutting it up for firewood yeah they don't want you to do and then it burns and we get these huge fires like we're dealing with that we deal with every year yeah yeah especially out here in the western lightning is going to strike and so you either have well-managed forest or you have a bunch of kindling in your forest use it or lose it yep like that's what it's (laughs) going to come down to uh in our Ammon interview, he said that, and Sean made a joke, and he missed it because he's more wholesome than us. So we just had to look at each other and giggle and then hope he didn't get offended by our immaturity. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't notice, so it was good. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah Ammon's a really good guy. Yeah. And he is, I would say, holy and devout. Um, don't agree with him on religion, obviously. Um, but, but he's the real deal, real deal. And an incredibly principled person that's willing to act on his convictions, which it's, you, it's you don't see, you don't see in the church. You don't, <laughs> you don't see it in the church. You don't no. see it in politics. You just don't see it. It's rare. He is a, he's a unicorn yeah. in my opinion, willing to put his well-being on the line for his neighbor, like actually willing to More sacrifice his life for his neighbor, that's amazing. And and I am proud to be voting for him uh, in the primary gubernatorial race. Yep. And, uh, okay, so you're up here 2005. Yeah, so construction just booming in Idaho. So the Boise, pre Boise Valley 2005, was the fastest growing or second fastest growing. It might have been right behind Reno Sparks area, which is the other place we were looking. Don't tell me that because it's the fastest growing now. Is it? I think so. Okay. I think it's the fa- well, I think it was one of the number one states uh, for people to move to, so it's a bad omen. Okay. A little repeat action? Yeah, it could be. I mean, look at prices. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it is very similar to how it was in 2005. We rented for six months. I was like, oh, my gosh, we need to buy a house. We need to buy a house. We need to buy a house. Look at these prices. Stuff was selling the day it came out on the market. Same, yeah. Um, it was insane. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so backing up, coming to Idaho, the choices were Idaho. So Oregon was out, just economically not viable. Um, but beautiful. If I could choose to live anywhere, it would be from Santa Cruz, California, up to Tillamook, Oregon, on that coast. That is just like the weather is perfect. It's temperate. It grows. 
tons of, like you can grow as much food as you want um that's where i'd live if all things were equal um so looked at nevada and man the casinos i'm a total advocate for as little government control as possible but the casino industry has has made that area kind of just a cesspool in terms of uh social demographics in my opinion so you, you wouldn't outlaw casinos absolutely not no i go i'd go even further and this is kind of an outlier um like I don't fit into like a whole lot of categories, um, but I would legalize all drugs, prostitution, and machine guns. Well, uh, the machine gun thing is obvious, right? But you, so that's it just what I mean. You're that's, a libertarian. That's why I say outlier, um, because you know the left will go, yeah, prostitution and drugs, that's great, but guns bad. And then the yeah, right yeah, will yeah. say guns good, prostitution, and when I say bad, absolutely they're bad. Prostitution's bad. Drug abuse is bad. Um, those things on a moral level, um, you shouldn't do them, right? It's going to cause you pain. It's going to cause your family pain. It's going to cause that woman or man pain. Um, and ultimately it's going to cause judgment, right? There's going to be judgment because you're engaging in sinful behavior, um, that God has said, this is not my standard. And so you're, you're actually storing up wrath by participating in those behaviors, um, however, I don't think it's the government's job to force that cold morality. I think that's idolatrous. Um, and so I love cold morality. <laughs> the cold clatter of, of morals. Colder the better. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so not libertarian because libertarians... Kind of fascist in that way. <laughs> <laughs> libertarians can't get life right. And if you can't get life right, I have zero respect for you. Mm -hmm. um, so Article 14, uh, libertarian platform, says that there's good faith differences on abortion. Well, abortion is the taking of a human life. We all agree on that. DNA is emphatic. It's a separate and unique DNA strand. We know when life begins. Life begins at conception yeah. by scientific definition. So as soon as there's a conception, you have a human life. If that human life isn't protected the same way that you and I are protected, then it's not equal justice, it's not equal rights, and it's immoral. And so if, if every human life isn't protected equally, I just, I can't, I can't respect you. I couldn't vote for you, certainly. Yeah. So when's the last time you voted? Um, I voted for Trump. Uh, I didn't vote for him the first time, but I voted for him the second time. You voted for Hillary the first time? Absolutely. She's my girl. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I didn't vote for the the witch. Um, I voted. I can't remember. I, I probably just voted whoever the Constitution, Constitution Party, Party candidate yeah. was. But he was close at the time. I know. It, yeah, if Trump had just not been in the race, <laughs> he really stole the votes from the Constitution Party. Gone Constitution on so the presidential you, election. You're up here for economics, and you know things are booming. You're in construction? Yeah, so I uh, came up here, and then ironically, uh, Idaho is a right-to-work state, and there's very little union activity. But in the electrical business, the electricians and the butchers, it's hugely, hugely... Butch um, butchers are unionized? Yeah, butchers and electricians in Idaho are hugely unionized. 
So I went to a shop, an electrical company, and went to apply. They said, well, are you an apprentice? I said, no, you know, I didn't go the union route. And they go, well, you'd have to start as an apprentice. And there was no way I was going to do that. And so I actually uh, got a job in landscaping and sprinkler installation and did that for two or three years. I hate that work. Yeah. Um, I did that in Nevada. Oh, uh, dude. Yeah, it's hard work. It started at the very bottom, yep. you know, on the Mexican backhoe. Yeah. And uh, that's a shovel for people who aren't in construction. <laughs> Uh, started with the shovel in my hand and worked my way up to being the, uh, the chief foreman in charge of three different, uh, landscaping and sprinkler install crews. And then I was like, why am I not just doing this for myself? Because, um, I saw my boss was making good money and playing golf video games and drinking beer all day. And so, uh, start our own company and this would have been like late 2007, which was super awesome because then everything started coming undone at the wheels. Well, that's right. When you want to start a company. Yeah. So thank God again, going back to my wife, I was like, we need a new, we need like three new trucks, a couple of brand new trailers. I need a, for sure need at least one skid steer, you know, maybe a couple mini skid steers and all this stuff. My wife was just like, wait, how much is that going to cost? Oh, hold on a second. I don't think we should borrow money. And uh, I was like, no, you don't understand. So we did it on the cheap, um, bought a couple of used trucks, a couple of used enclosed trailers and rented equipment when we needed it. Had she not stopped me from doing that stuff, I would have lost everything. Even as it was, I lost a lot as all of a sudden, you know, nobody was able to buy houses and so nobody's building houses and builders are going under. I had a couple contractors that I worked for that went under and uh, I didn't get paid. And so it was really, it was really scary. And then I immediately revert back to, I will do whatever to make money. Um, and I do mean whatever. So that was your male prostitution phase? <laughs> uh, it was my willingness. It, it really, I really recognized that I wasn't leaning on God or leaning into God or even communicating needs to the church body that I was going to. Um, I immediately wanted to try to take control myself and pull myself up by my bootstraps. I believe in hard work. Hard work has been incredibly generous to me. Um, but you are not going to be able to do it on your own. You are going to need help. And I mean, we should, as Christians, we should be going to the Lord in prayer first, not like as a last resort. And as a last resort, you know, I'm crying out to God, begging God. And, um, God opens up an opportunity. I'm, I'm in South Dakota at the time. And, uh, cause we were considering doing the oil thing um because that was still booming at yep. the time um i'm in south dakota i get a phone call from a veterinarian clinic that i had applied to as just like because i was applying to everything like everything and anything i would apply to it like if there was a, a opening for a brain surgeon at the hospital i would have applied for it regardless of the fact that i'm not a doctor and would not have gotten the job but i would have still put in the application because again 
99% of being successful is showing up and putting in the work, right? You're not going to get the job if you don't go and apply for it. Even if you're not qualified for the job, you might get it if you show up and say, I'll do it. And you're willing to learn. I had a little stint as a heart surgeon and it was awesome, but I was just willing to do it, you know? <laughs> there you go. So that scalpel I was showing you yeah, earlier, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, could have, you could have taken that and... Uh... Wait, I have to wash my hands? <laughs> yeah, germ theory? Well, that's that. <laughs> hey, did you know some people don't believe in germ theory? No. Yeah, there's like a whole... Uh... I run in some weird like Twitter circles. There's like a whole realm of uh, the Twitter sphere that I, I run in that does not believe in germ theory. And there's a guy who gets on podcasts talking about how uh, it's not true, which makes me Bacteria really Bacteria is not true? Well, I don't know how far it goes because I haven't yet jumped into the rabbit hole, but I just know that there's people. So germ are, theory, boiled down, germs make you sick. Like contagion and stuff, yeah. Right. Yeah. They don't believe that. So he does not believe... That staphylococci bacteria on your skin that is then introduced into your bloodstream by an open wound uh, would not cause an abscess. No, I don't, I don't think so. But Okay. Again. Well, there's also people that believe that the earth is flat. Um, and I, I think it's a joke, but I'm not sure if it is. Maybe this is the same kind of a thing. There you go. I do believe that the Earth is the center of the solar system, but I believe that it's a globe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so you're willing to work hard. You'll do anything. Yeah, so get a, get a phone call from this, this vet clinic, vet and they clinic. say, we'd like to hire you. How do they know you were looking? Well, I applied. Oh. That's what I'm saying. Oh, like, okay. I don't know anything about animal medicine, but... What'd you do in the interview? I, I said I would work hard, and this is what I can do. That's funny because my buddy uh, just got hired at a vet clinic. And, you know, he gets hired, and he felt it was an affirmation of all his years of studying. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's going to listen to this and know that he's a joke. <laughs> no, so there's two kind. There's an old saying, there's two kinds of vet techs. And I didn't get hired primarily to work with animals. I just got into Naturally. that. Yeah, as... I was working. That's, you have a phobia of animals. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't at all. Um, I like animals, and I'm fascinated by medicine. Um, I'm fascinated by really the blood and guts of anything, like mechanical stuff fascinates Going back to me. Knives. Yeah, blood and guts. Building things. Like I enjoy working with my hands. I enjoy building things. I enjoy fixing things, and that extends to animals and um, you know to people too. If you were standing here in a plane crashed and you know you had a horrible laceration to your arm a partial amputation i'd get right to work on you finishing the amputation yeah yeah <laughs> right uh, it oh, would be can some... we save this no it's you can't save it you gotta cut yeah, it off some organic medium evaluation yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> i would uh immediately go to work testing my wares yeah first thing i do you know come out to the property first thing uh, you have me do is take a tomahawk to a, a frozen well, it was thawed. Oh, thawed. okay. Yeah, I pulled it out of the freezer a couple days gotcha. ago. Uh, the spike into the eyeball was the best part. Yeah. Um, yeah, so organic medium evaluation or testing. We want to see what knives and axes do um, in bone and muscle because uh, that's what we're building them for, to go into bone and muscle. Um, but, yeah, so veterinarian. Yeah, get me to you started a knife company. Yep. Work for the veterinarian. 
um, and more of a handyman capacity and then transition to working a little bit with the animals as well. Um, vets, uh, awesome guys, wife's awesome, really salt of the earth people. And then, uh, the economy starts coming back. So this, this part-time job, right. Kept the lights on and I was able to do side jobs and able to feed my family and God really providentially, uh, provided for us through this, this part-time job. And so I did that, um, in the mornings, even as I was getting back into construction, um, the economy came back to the point where it was just untenable. Like I couldn't work for 13 bucks an hour in the morning when I was making $65 an hour in the afternoon. And I had to work that just didn't make economic sense to my family. Um, so I left that job, went back into construction full-time doing primarily handyman type stuff and remodels, little things like that. Um, did really well, started to expand. My heart wasn't really in it. I enjoyed the money and I enjoyed working on stuff, but I really wanted to be working from home so that I could be a a bigger part of my children's um, childhood experience educationally and then also just like getting to interact with them right because we have a very limited amount of time with our kids to set an example and to um, really to set the standard down for even generations to come right my dad like the reason that I am the way that I am in large part has to do with my dad the way that my dad is um, and so I owe a huge debt of gratitude to my parents for raising me the way that I was raised. And I would like to carry that forward and I'd like to do even a better job. And hopefully my kids will do a better job than I did and their kids will do a better job than they did. Um, so thinking generationally made me want to work from home so that I could spend as much time as possible with my kids and even bring my kids into the business with me. It's like a durable trades vibe. Yeah. Roy Graves. Um, and so I don't know who that is, but... Durable Trades. He wrote a book and he just basically goes through different trades uh, that have been time-tested, but then also he like scores them. You know, how easy is, is easy is it to get into? How involved can your family be? Things like that. Okay, very cool. So it's very much a... <clears throat> Uh, be resilient, you know, optimally start your own business that you can bring your sons into Yeah, kind of thing. And daughters. Yeah, and daughters. Um, so I'm not an egalitarian. I'm a complementarian. But I also do believe that we do our daughters a grave disservice if we're not teaching them skills, teaching them how to be resilient. Knife skills. Yeah, absolutely. Spear skills. Definitely. And building. Yeah. Um, building. How often do we fall into that, like women over here category, uh, men over here category in terms of like being able to do stuff or having a desire to do stuff. I want my kid, like, uh, probably the most impressive and avid shooter in my family, aside from me, of course, is one of my daughters. Um, well, women are good shooters. They've got steady hands. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't have that that push to perform. I don't. I mean, I don't think my boys do either because I don't go like, "Oh, you fucking idiot!" You know, if my kids miss a shot, um, I just encourage them to try to do better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, better better next time. Yeah. If you want to eat, you have to hit the target. So figure <laughs> it out, kid. Right. No Hunger. pressure. Hunger's a powerful motivator. You wouldn't know it by looking at me, um, but <laughs> it is a powerful motivator. So you have to be hungry. You want to be successful, show up, be hungry, work hard. 
if you do those things, you will be successful. Yeah. Because so many people are scared or incapable of doing those things. Um, so fast forward, I started actually making holsters while I was still doing construction, doing Kydex. Um, and for it just, guns. what's that? For guns? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I still do for Glock and J frames. Um, but pretty much everything else has gone by the wayside. It never got to the point, even though I was doing a lot of it, it was never profitable enough for me to be like, okay, I can quit doing construction completely. Why? Why was it not profitable? It takes, I just, I couldn't make enough in an hour to justify. What? What's the, uh, is it because price per labor item is just low? Labor intensive and then the market, the, there are available alternatives that perform in a similar capacity that I just couldn't touch. Yeah. Um, Financial, like I couldn't compete with them. And so I had to keep my prices in that kind of, yep. you know, generally accepted bubble. But then like the amount of time that it takes to make this stuff, it was just like, well, you know, I'm not going to just do it for fun. Right. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to take time away from my family for a fun hobby. Yeah. I um, hate fun. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Another just four letter word. Keeps me up at night. Three just word. <laughs> It makes me lose my appetite. Fun. Um, what I am going to do for fun is go take my kids four-wheeling or fishing or hunting or yeah, just yeah. go out in the woods. Um, Starting fires on BLM land. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do some prescribed burns, boys. Um, so uh, at the same time, I was, um, I've always carried knives. Um, I've been fairly knife-centric. And so I started modifying some knives, some inexpensive knives, like from Cold Steel and the Sharp Finger from Schrade. Um, started modifying those, making sheaths for them and selling those. And I was like, man, why am I not just making a knife? And so I had, I'd already like done some metal working previous to that. And so I like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, just going to make a knife. So I made some knife-like objects that were kind of like knives. And I was like, oh, shit, this is harder than I thought. And so that kind of went on the back burner. And then uh, I don't remember what the exact impetus was for giving it another go. Getting Asi stabbed. <laughs> no, no, I got stabbed and I was like, wait, a knife. That uh, yeah, forgot. yeah, yeah, that's it. Those work. Um. I, I don't, I can't put my finger on the exact impetus it was to come back to trying again to make it. Um, but I did. And this time I started, I just started grinding a lot of mild steel. Like you look around, I've just got scrap metal all over. And so, um, just started grinding on some mild steel, getting my ability, um, improve my ability and stuff. And then, uh, just went from there made myself knives tested the knives that i was making because you certainly don't want to sell something to somebody just to have it you know fall apart on them and so uh was confident yeah, you're not enough. chinese right <laughs> yes i am not i am not chinese <laughs> my products still together <laughs> so i uh i made some knives i offered them for sale they sold i made some more knives offered them for sale they sold and then all of a sudden i started getting people like hey i want a knife and so I started selling knives before I was making them. And it was like, whoa, 
I can actually make a living doing this. I can charge $55 an hour, which was like my base rate. Yep. And I can actually do it and sell them. And so I was... super fair rate, by the way, for a skilled labor. Yeah. So, um, like... If I was going back into the trades, it'd probably be about 90 bucks an hour. Yeah. Um, if I was going to go do construction or electrical. Yeah, yeah. But I'm doing something that I love and I'm doing it where I love it. So I'm happy to give yeah. up that um, that premium yeah. to do something that I enjoy immensely. Yeah, just in case if anybody's listening, just not aware of the cost of things. 55 an hour is a great rate. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, then I was like, all of a sudden, I had way too many orders. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, That's how that goes. My buddy is... just started a handyman company, and it's like, uh, right. shoot. <laughs> I right. I cannot. So all of a sudden, I, I'm like, shit, I can't keep up with this, you know, um, because I was trying to produce knives, you know, that somebody ordered like in a couple weeks. Got it. Or a month at the most. like Setting expectations. Yes. You were learning to set those expectations. Yeah, and so... Um, I'm two years now into full-time knife making. Okay. And my current wait time is about eight months. So if you ordered a knife, which I don't let people just order knives, right? I do drops in 25-piece um, blocks at a time. And because if I just let people order knives as they wanted to, you know, I'd be like a year and a half out. Well, a lot what do you can mean? happen. It. Yeah, what does that mean? You, uh... You say, hey, I'm going to make 25 of these knives. Get your order in. Yeah, I'm going to make, I'm going to open up 25 orders October. So basically, like a knife and a half a day, because I have a lot of work aside from knife making that I have to do um, with my family that I enjoy doing with our animals. You know, we've got another property up in Potlatch that I did a bunch of work on this summer. So I had two and a half months where I didn't do any knife making. Um, and that same thing last summer, I spent about three months up there last summer where I wasn't making stuff. And so, um, October 1st, I'll open up 25 slots. People can order 25 pieces and then I'll close it. Yep. And that enables me to, um, not get out like three year, you know, two years or three years in advance. Because if I'm going balls to the wall, I'm still only going to be putting out like 10 to 12 knives a week. Okay. Um, I don't do things like start to finish like I wouldn't do. Those 10 to 12 knives, like they would be roughed out, ground, heat treated. Um, and then I do those typically in like batches of fives and tens. Yep. Um, so if you ordered a knife from me October 1st, you could expect it in six to eight months. Yep. from October 1st. Um, and so all that, you know, that pile of knives in there that I'm working on, yep. those have already been bought and paid for. And the reason that I don't want to go longer, and really I didn't want to go even like six months, is because I owe those people something. Yep. Right? I'm in debt to those people, and I don't like to live in debt to anybody. Um, I abhor debt. Um, I, I thought think, you were Keynesian. Yeah, no, yeah. Not a Keynesian on, on the economic side and then i really do believe in the biblical principle that the the borrower is slave to the lender yeah like, i don't I even like owing people true. love it makes me yeah. feel constrained yeah uh <laughs> or duty yeah right. um so I'm not your slave i don't owe you anything right <laughs> owing people and then you have to be careful too because that can become 
idolatrous, right? Not owing anybody anything. You have to accept that like you owe the greatest debt that you can never pay. You'll never be capable of paying it. And so it's not that I um, want to be a man's man in the sense of like, I didn't, you know, nobody helped me get here and I don't owe anybody a thing or anything like that. It's that I don't want to be beholden to somebody if I say, you know what, I'm going to take off and I'm going to go do this uh, for a year. Say I want to do that. and But I have already taken all these people's money. I would feel like that would be immoral for yeah. me to extend that weight indefinitely to pursue my own dreams, dreams right, after they'd paid me their money. Because I'm money is travel. time. Right. Yeah. When you when you get right down to it, money is a reflection on your time and you're not getting any of it back. Yeah. So taking somebody's money is a very serious thing, in my opinion. Yeah. That's why I love the Federal Reserve. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. If if we could have done one thing that made America just fantastic, it was definitely getting off of the gold standard. Yeah. Um, I think that we can really point to that as being the pivotal point for American greatness is to uh, go to a fiat non-backed currency. I love fiats. Yep. Um, so, all right, let me hit you with some questions, uh, more knife-oriented questions. Before that, though, your uh, company name, company logo, where's that coming from? Uh, so the Ripper, uh, Bones Brigade, Pal Peralta, skated when I was a kid, and I've always loved that. So it's a play on that. Gotcha. And the name? You might be a little bit young. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Okay. So it's the... I'm I not in my 40s. <laughs> in my 30s. <laughs> the iconic winged ripper, um, the skeleton busting out of the skin. That was, if not my first skateboard deck graphic, it would have been like in the first. So like Stacy, uh, Corey O'Brien, uh those guys, Tony Hawk. You, I know that you, is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those guys were like uh, demigods uh-huh. when I was a kid. Um, and so Powell always had the best graphics, like without question. And this is probably the best and most iconic, in my opinion. So kind of just a nod to... And then Gypsy EDC. Cool stuff. Yeah, so EDC, that stands for Everyday Carry. You know that. And then, like, I have kind of a little Gypsy um, soul in me that, like, I just love to get off the beaten path. I love to travel. Um, I'm also a total homebody, though. I do not like crowds. I do not like going to, like, big cities and stuff like that. That's fine. Okay. Cell phones make noise. Also, you have a Chihuahua. Yeah, that's Bonnie. Um, Do you have a bigger dog? Yeah, we've got a couple bigger right. dogs. <laughs> I was like, it doesn't really fit your vibe, man. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, a little chocolate then, chihuahua starts walking up. So, yeah, the yard fence is big enough holes that she can nice. walk out. Nice. Does her thing. Yeah. She's more like a cat. Yeah, um, yeah. Except that she's like, terrified of the cat. And cats are disgusting. Uh, generally speaking. You have them for rodent control? Yeah, I'm not a... Well, and my kids like them. Gotcha. I love my kids, so therefore I tolerate cats. Gotcha. And they are good for rodent control. Yeah. Um, And cleaning up the pig blood that's all over back there now. Yeah. Um, So, uh, Gypsy, just 
uh, I'm a little bit of a gypsy. I've also been called a, uh, shoot, I'm blanking on it. An asshole? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Once or twice. Uh, hippie Billy. Oh, hippie nice, Billy. nice. Yeah. Well, that's what um, Idaho's full of, hippie billies. Right. That's Idaho's thing. I am all about, like, peace and love. And, and Ron Paul. And to, right. <laughs> until you mess with me. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, I'll burn you down. Is that a razor blade that you have sewn into the brim of your hat that I see? Is that is that another gypsy uh, a gypsy feature no. of the of the company hat? No, no, no. Um, in uh, I worked in Scotland for a bit. There was a local bar. Uh, I think it was called the White House. Anyway, it was the spot, and they had to shut it down because um, yeah, the local gang, not in the Peaky Blinders hat way, but with their suit jacket lapels, they had razor blades. Hmm. So when anybody would grab them. There was just too many fights, so they turned it into a, you know, socialist-loving community center where people do-gooders. Isn't it interesting lives. that in other cultures you can still fight and you don't go to jail? Like there's such yeah, a yeah. thing as just like a good old-fashioned brawl. And generally speaking, um, you know, people aren't shot afterwards, kind of a thing. People yeah. aren't necessarily hunted down. A martial culture. Like men, it's more controlled. Yeah, men are made to. Uh, I think that we're made to fight yeah. and work and have babies. There's fewer and fewer places in America where even you can get in a fist fight and know that it's just going to happen, and know like so it's just going to happen, and the cops aren't going to get involved. But also, and know that the loser's not going to get stomped out when he goes down. Right, or call nine one one. Yeah. And try to have you thrown in jail. Right, right, right. So those those places where you have that liberty, and but then the problem then is that when the violence does happen, it's amplified because mm-hmm. the pressure's built up. But, uh, yeah, it would be nice to live in a place that, hey, yeah, we can get in a fight and the police aren't going to get involved. No one's going to get stomped out or get their head punted afterwards. There's, there's boundaries. There's kind of mm-hmm. like acceptable boundaries. Now... Over there, there, there weren't many acceptable boundaries besides you're not going to call the police. But screwdrivers and bricks and all sorts of crazy stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, very a very gypsy-centered community there. Yeah. So you're, you're a hippie billy, gypsy, skater background. There's your logo. There's yep. your company name. Knives. Okay. What is... Uh, what's the order of question that I care about? Okay, in terms of... A fight. Your philosophy of knives in a fight. What's the value of a knife, right? Okay, so a knife I, allows I get me to gun. get to a gun. That's what it does. Explain for, that to me. For me, um, my because I have no obligation to go hands on with anybody. I won't go hands on with anybody unless you make me go hands on. If you make me go hands on, the only reason that you could make me go hands on is if I can't get away or if my family can't get away. And so if hands you, on mean you just mean physical altercation. Okay. The only way somebody can force me into a physical altercation is if I cannot get away or my kid can't get away or my wife can't get away. Okay. And if it comes to that, I'm not going to hit you. I'm going to stab you or shoot you. If I can't get to my a pistol, I'm going to use a knife. Wait, uh, what's the scenario where you couldn't get to a pistol but you can't get to a knife? Uh, we're in close contact and you've either got a hand on my pistol or you trapped my right hand so i have to go gotcha 
uh, left hand to... How, how far am I from the van right now, would you say? Oh, 15 to 18 feet. Okay, so I haven't drawn. I'm, I'm standing. Mm -hmm. I haven't drawn shirt over my gun, right? Concealed. You're there, knife already drawn. Can, can an average guy close that distance with a knife before I can draw and get on target? Well, I'm fat and out of shape, so... I said average guy. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, what's the difference? So, I, the reason I ask is because, you know, I, I got a buddy who grew up in L.A. in street fighting culture, and he likes to emphasize that it's actually further than you'd think, the distance that's closable with a knife before a guy could draw and be affected. Okay, so it absolutely depends on so many things. Okay. And let's start with just recognizing that you're in a fight, right? Yeah. The OODA loop. Um, so OODA loop, OODA so loop, observe, orient, uh, what the fuck? I can't remember what D stands for. Right, let's pull that up on my phone. Destroy. It's, it's worth talking about. Okay. Yeah. Run me um, through this. Absolutely worth talking. I about. thought it was like a, a boogaloo word. I was <laughs> like, what, what, what is this? OODA loop? Now, so I don't, you're also, you may catch me off guard with, uh, like terms of the day and stuff like that because uh -huh. I don't watch a lot of television i don't listen to a lot of news and uh so like i didn't know what the boog was or the boogaloo <laughs> for a long time yeah Dude. you still have ron paul stickers on your car you're very outdated right <laughs> that's right. been that hasn't been a thing for a decade <laughs> and also i live out in the country and my internet's horrible so um Uda loop O O D A. Everybody look that up on their own. O O D A. Uda. Yeah. Loop um, so, like a loop. Yeah. Fruit. Essentially. Um, oh, decide. Duh. Okay. Nice. So observe, orient, decide, act. Right. Okay. So the Uda loop. You don't know you're in a fight, right? If a guy's standing over there and he pulls out a knife and he's doing it surreptitiously, um, how are you even going to know to start drawing until he started running? Well, because I'm standing you. and I'm looking at him like, you know what? That guy looks surreptitious. <laughs> right. That's a surreptitious looking fellow. Except, I bet he's got a knife in his hand. <laughs> surreptitious means you don't think any of those things. You know, that's what a surreptitious guy would want me to think. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, um, why'd you draw on that guy? He was surreptitious. Yeah, I thought he, he had a knife. Well, he looked like he was doing absolutely nothing. So I <laughs> he knew looked he like a grandpa, doing, a demented grandpa. He must grandpa. be doing something. <laughs> Um, so it takes you approximately two seconds to even about like figure out what's going on. Yeah, and like, even I could run from, from there to you in two seconds. Right, good luck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, yeah. If you were running away, I, I wouldn't catch you. Yeah, if you're I'm, stationary. I'm, I'm flat footed cause I'm still Udaing. Yes. Yeah, so you're still observing, orienting and making a decision. Yeah. Right. And so, um, this is the advantage of the offense. Absolute advantage. Yeah. So all of a sudden that guy, you know, closes that the 21 foot is kind of the rule of thumb. Okay. Uh, knife versus gun. Well, what it really is a rule is it takes 21 feet to figure out I'm getting, I'm about to get sacked. Um, and so dude comes, tackles me, takes me to the ground. He's on top of me. My holster's inaccessible, right? So I'm right-handed and I carry typically on my right hip yep. because I'm too fat to carry appendix. That's the same dude. Cool new thing. Oh, well, it's not really new, but I like the concept of appendix. But I've got this nice little like layer. I'm not like super fat. But I got a layer of fat that just 
pinches on that thing. Yeah. It just sits it on it. Doesn't feel good. And it almost blocks it in. Yeah. It's like an over the top. <laughs> <Right? That's, that's laughs> your... I can't reach it. It's literally it's so, like an extra holster. So right. If you're <laughs> if you're required to carry a level two holster for a job, you could just oh my gut. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. gut's the, the second level. <laughs> I have to defeat that before I can draw. I gotta pull up my shirt, <laughs> pull up my belly, then I get it. Right. So I'm over here on the right hip. So say I go down on my right side. And I can't access that. Yep. I come to the left side. I've got a knife, and I'm putting in the work. You're keeping it on the hip, or do you ever carry on the chest? Uh, so I actually carry in my pocket, my carpenter, my okay. slash pockets. I really like those for carrying a knife. Your slash pockets? Yeah, you know, where you'd put if you were wearing, like, carpenter pants or overalls. Yep. Um, so I'm typically... It's like the little side of my yeah. thigh. Yep. Tubular thing. Yeah. So I really like deep... I used to have a little, like... Uh, uh, oh gosh, what do you call those things? Oh, it's like a little, it's a stick you use to smash people with. I would travel around the world with it. <laughs> it was my massage stick, but I, when I was in Scotland, I was sitting beside a gypsy and he like reached over it, I, in thick pants with that pocket. You know, supposedly no one can see it. And in the middle of church, he just reaches over, grabs my thigh, and he looks at me like, What, what are you planning on doing, toddies and gravy? <laughs> 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 Hitting people. <laughs> So, um, I really like these, I call it the deep six. It's, uh, other people would call it like a surf sheath. So it's a deep carry. So it carries that deep yeah. in the pocket, just this little pommel sticking out. Um, so pinch grip typical on the draw. I like reverse edge. It's instinctual. Um, so ice pick, you have a tremendous, so a lot of guys use like a saber, right? Because knife, a lot of knife fighting technique is left over from sword fighting technique. Obviously, with a sword, you wouldn't hold it like an ice pick, right? That would just be retarded. Yeah, so we're talking about once you've closed and we're hands-on, you've drawn your knife, do you hold it like downward in the I fist do. or forward? Yeah, I primarily go ice pick. Is there ever a situation where you would, you called it saber, That's the is that the technical term? Yeah. So would you ever carry it like that? Uh, would I ever draw and use it that way? Sure. Uh, On purpose, besides, like, it just happened. Yes, if I was whittling a stick. That's literally not in a fight. cutting a steak. Yeah. Um, I would use it like that. Every other so, time you're going ice pick. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want to... Power is punched down. Absolutely. It's like a hammer fist. Uh, not just that, but, like, again, we're not talking about using swords. Um, like a rapier, mm -hmm. you know where you would stab like that to great effect. Just feel yourself, feel your muscles, and just clench like that and just pull down as tight as you can, like as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. There's some serious, serious muscular and skeletal structure behind that movement. When I do like, that, I just, I'm honestly just blown away by my power. How strong you feel. Yeah. Like, uh, honestly, it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's overwhelming. Now, I overwhelm myself with my strength. Do that. But the speed, well, that's, you know, is, can you, I don't know, the speed versus power argument, it's not fast enough to make up for it? Um, I don't agree. So let me, let me ask you this, right? So the hammer fist. You're going to be much, much more accurate with a sword in the saber, like in using a saber technique. Okay. Right? You're going to be much more accurate. You're going to be able to 
be one, be far away from the person. Greater right? reach, you're going to have yeah. that reach. And then two, you're going to be able to flick it and like drive straight into the heart or the throat or something like that. Yeah. Where like ice pick is much more caveman. Yeah. Style. Yeah. Right. Anybody can do it. Give your kid. A, well, you don't have a kid or maybe you do. No. No. Okay. Well, if I, I, give, I don't want to publicly admit to it because I don't want him asking for child support. You know okay, what I mean? there so, you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, none are great. Like, I am totally an advocate for deadbeat dads. Like, Honestly, I'm teaching him to be resilient. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, rely yeah. on yourself, kid. <laughs> Did you also? <laughs> They're going to thank me later. Did you name him Sue? Lily. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. If you're a boy out there named Lily, I am not your father. <laughs> Figure it out, kid. Um, okay, so, um... It's the, the caveman puncture. Give a two-year-old a stick yeah. and a cardboard box and watch how they stab it. Yeah. Also um, watch how he screams. They will stab it. Um, or at least my kids did and do. Um, well, you, or hit it. You give it to them. No, not. The stab, the yeah, puncture. They just go straight to ah. putting in the work. Okay, so I've heard. Is this completely baloney? I, so I read a ton, so it might have just been one of those baloney things that somebody threw in a novel and I absorbed it as something that wasn't baloney. In knife fighting, uh, thinking more like I'm punching a guy. So I'm holding it in an ice pick style, but I'm functionally just trying to punch him in the face. And the follow through is what is slashing him. So about that? uh, No, but I mean, it it is. uh, So there's different schools of thought when it comes to knives, just like guns and everything else. Right. And so you have like, uh, it might've been for my LA Vato. It might've been like a Mexican thing. So, well, maybe it was, and maybe it wasn't, but you have, um, people, uh, like Michael Janich, um, Adam from Spartan mode, um, those guys, and they do rely very heavily on that slashing, motion and i believe primarily um they're looking to immobilize and disable as opposed to kill and this goes back to if i have a reason to put my hands on you it is a life or death situation sure i'm not going to insert myself into a violent action um over something that i can walk away from yeah, but like, what if he says something insulting? Oh, man. Yeah, if he says my barbecue is not good, like, <laughs> then I'm going to go, you know, duke it out with him and hope he doesn't pull out a knife. If he does, then I'll have to shoot him, and hopefully it's justifiable homicide, right? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Um, I will walk away from any situation that I can. Uh, and that doesn't even mean, like, somebody could slap me, and I'd walk away. Like, if they're going to just slap me, and, and it's you just swing slap, back? if they slap me, I'd walk away. Really? Uh, honest to God. Absolutely. What? If You're they, not going to swing back? Check this I'm not out. saying draw a weapon. Well, I'm talking so just that, slap him back. That's Give him the, the and slap. But you've got to commit at that point to seeing it through. So say you do slap him back. Yeah. And then say they pull out a knife. Why would he do that? That seems like an over-escalation. Let's just keep it to fisticuffs. Right. Like two but gentlemen. We can't. we can't... Uh, <laughs> Choose what the other person does, right? So if it's a, like some dude walks up to me, just hauls off and slaps me in the face, everything in me is going to want to actually pull out my pistol, not just slap him back. I want to <laughs> pull out a pistol and shoot him to the ground. But I'm a small guy. I can say I was fearing for my life. Right. <laughs> I thought he was going to have his way with me. <laughs> yes. But what I would do, what I have committed to doing, and what I like, I really pray that I would do is turn around and walk away 
Somebody's... Have you ever gotten to do this, or is it all theory right now? <laughs> I have a I've, feeling it's theory. <laughs> I've, I've not yet had the opportunity to put, to put this into practice. Oh, man. Um, but because, theoretically, if you're in the situation, you're not going for immobilization. You're going for lethality because that's what the situation calls for. And a puncture because of blood flow or... Yeah, so we're, we're looking for immediate organ failure. Okay. So um, you can absolutely die from a laceration, from blood loss. 100%, absolutely. Um, but the quickest way to shut somebody down is to shut down the pump, the heart, or to shut down the brain. And so you're going for uh, rapidity of puncture. Yes. Destroy. That kind yeah. of thing. Sewing machine. Yeah. Um, now, um, so uh, going back to grip of knife, in my mind, saber grip, uh, I could get a faster repetition of puncture, or is that just me making that up? Uh, you, maybe you can. Maybe you can. Um, how deep are you puncturing? You're pulling, you know, when you're, ice, when you're in an ice pick grip, you're, you're pulling them to you. And allowing for extremely deep, like if you're going up against meat with a blade or even a screwdriver, yeah. for that matter, and you're going in the ice pick, you're going to be hitting your hand. You're going to be, yeah. you know, heel deep every single well, time. And especially if I'm like mantle or up, mm -hmm. uh, that ice pick is going to be a much more natural, uh, I guess, body mechanics movement. You know, if I'm going saber mantle up on a guy, I, yeah, I'm not going. I'm going to be slower and less powerful. Maybe like lower belly. Oh, sure. Pick. Absolutely. So a lot of times if I'm wearing a belt, you know, I'll wear horizontally a knife like at the belt buckle and that comes out and goes up. Right. Okay. So, um, Craig you Douglas, make a holster that goes South parallel North. to yeah. the belt. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, uh, Craig Douglas, uh, South Narc came up with the clinch pick, the Shivworks clinch pick. I've got a couple of them in there. I'll show them to you. Um, that I'm modifying for clients, um, just adding a little bit of handle texture, slimming the handles down a little bit, and added a uh, secondary edge on the, the back, the, the so sharpen the swedge on them. Um, that was designed... A swedge. Yeah, a little swedge. you got to have a good swedge. <laughs> there you go. Um, so that's designed... Hey, what's a swedge? The swedge would be a tapering on the spine. So that right there is a swedge. An unsharpened swedge. Why would you? I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna hold off. Okay. Well, what's the per, so? But I was gonna ask you about double edging, but I'm gonna hold off on that okay. for a second. But in terms of the swedge, what's the function? So it doesn't um, go. So it has out a slimmer profile, mm -hmm. but still has that strength. Mm -hmm. So it penetrates easier, mm -hmm. and then just come on, it looks good. Yeah. yeah okay. Is this your little detail here, the Appeal to Heaven tree? Yeah, so yeah. that is my um, touch mark. Uh, Do you know normally in terms of, like, branding consistency, you'd put your brand, like, your logo on that? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, okay. But, just just um, checking. <laughs> so this actually, and so... I mean, your business. I'm not knocking you. I don't right. know anything. It's interesting. So this is a white pine. My touch mark is a white pine, and that is both um, a nod to Idaho which has been super good to me. I'm very grateful to live in Idaho. Um, and then also to the uh, to that rebellious nature mm -hmm. of not allowing the government to push us around. Yeah, um, but let's be real, we do. 
Absolutely. I love getting pushed around. <laughs> it <laughs> makes me feel safe and secure. It's like a hug from the government. It would seem. It Big would Daddy seem. Newsom, push me around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um... So depending on where you're carrying it, your initial thrust is going to be dictated by that, and then you'd adjust. Yeah, so uh, C- Craig Douglas said something along the lines of uh, martial, like most martial art mystical shit can be stopped by a stab to the taint. Um, <laughs> something along those lines, right? And a taint is a part of a knife, right? <laughs> Not a part of a knife. <laughs> right, so David got here and he goes, so how far does the taint go? <laughs> and I said, excuse me? <laughs> so he had... Um, the taint, the taint. Right, he had uh, transposed taint for tang. <laughs> it's, a, it's a natural thing. Anybody could do it, you know. <laughs> Um, it's what I call my taint. I call it a tang. <laughs> Are you a full tang or a partial tang? Um, so anyhow, yeah, the, the way you need to be flexible, um, you need to be able to adapt to any situation, but primarily... If you and I are in a clinch uh, or I'm on the ground, I'm going ice pick and I'm going to try to shut you down or at least get to the point where I can draw a firearm and finish the job or get away. Yeah. Like legitimately, if you're immobilized on the ground and no longer a threat to me, then I'll walk away at that point. How, How would you determine no longer a threat? Not moving. Okay. Not conscious. No, you could be conscious as long as you're not moving in a threatening manner. I, I mean... Yeah. But technically, what... You know... If you're... If I've stabbed you 105 times and you're still rolling around on the ground and you're still, you know, reaching for presumably a weapon, you know, in the waistband or something like that, I am going to continue to treat you as a lethal threat. Yeah, so it just... It, it's a pretty ambiguous line in my mind because... I could not be moving, and you start walking away, and then I'm like that British officer dragoon guy in the Patriot. You know, I was playing possum, and then I take advantage of you. Right, so I'm walking away with a drawn weapon pointed at your face. Gotcha. Like, and then you twitch and... Yeah. (laughs) He was moving! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so ice pick grip, tang. Um, Okay, tell me about this. Uh... Uh, let's go. How, how many knives do you carry at a time? How many knives should someone carry? Um, so I typically carry three knives. So I'd carry a knife on my right side, left side, and then a chore knife. A chore? Yeah. Like four chores. Yeah. Yeah. It's like every guy's got a pocket knife. Yeah. Okay. Um, don't let me forget. I have a tomahawk question, but let's go, uh, let's go. Okay. Uh, double edge. Right, um, you're a big fan of double edge. You talk about it all the time on your Instagram, right? Why would a knife not have a double edge? Uh, a chore knife ought not to have a double edge. That's it. Yeah, and then also if you are um, employing a grip where you're going to put your thumb on the spine of your knife or something like that, obviously a double edge would be deleterious. Um, the functional in a fight difference between knife. And a tomahawk. Oh, a tomahawk lights out. Like I you mean, want you want the tomahawk. If I could 
get away with carrying it. Uh, what What are the difficulties of carrying a tomahawk, and why is it so much better? Just because the weight, the momentum you can get on it? Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> E <laughs> equals MC squared, right? <laughs> I, I So I hear. Yeah, I don't really know much. This guy said that. This one dude said that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the energy that Frank. you can deliver. You know Frank, too? <laughs> right. The yeah, energy guy, you could Frank. deliver with a tomahawk versus a knife is like, an, I mean, it's night and day. Really. Yeah. Um, but, like, so say a tomahawk. Bigger is, swing, so maybe harder to use in the clinch or no? Uh, well, the cool thing about the gypsy hawk is it's actually not. So it is, where did I put that thing? It's right here. Okay. So grab that. Don't mind the blood. Choke all the way up on that. Like all, all the way. Oh, okay. When he says don't mind the blood, this is what I used to, to hit. I don't know. What animal is that? It's a pig. A pig. A pig Four, skull. 400 pound sow. So it's, it's the sausage. skull and hit it a few times. Actually chipped the, the tip. We can talk about that. So I'm going to choke up and get pig's blood all over me. Inshallah, right. I will still be accepted into paradise. Right there. Okay. So now feel that like, is yeah. that comfortable yeah, yeah, for yeah. you? Yeah. It's Super comfortable. comfortable. So I make everything to my hand. Like... It better be comfortable to me. I don't like sharp edges. I like useful tools, right? And so that is designed to uh, be able to choke all the way up on the haft there, all the way up to the head without gouging you. And then you can really do some really fine work with that. You could car you could carve with it if you are you know sitting around a fire. Well, you could also punch somebody with it really easily without swinging. Smells and great. Do massive, massive damage with that. Yeah. Um, or flip it around and use the spike. Either way, you're still just going to do a tremendous amount of damage with that. But when you're swinging it from way down here, more power. You just have a tremendous amount of energy at the end of this. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just imagine getting hit in the face with a framing hammer. Now imagine that it's not a framing hammer, but it's a blade. Well, like, I wouldn't imagine it because I would just be dead. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, just cave I imagine in. the guy swinging it was naked in full body paint. <laughs> right. Whoa. Um, <laughs> That'd be trippy. <laughs> so, you just absolutely cave in somebody's head. Yeah, yeah. Just lights out. So, so why don't you um, carry a Imagine tomahawk. that's a rifle. Right. Okay. And a knife is a pistol. Okay. Sure. It's bulky. Okay. It's hard to conceal. And people... <laughs> if you're just walking around town with an axe, people are going to be uncomfortable with that. And then they're going to be focused on you. I don't want people to focus on me. Mm -hmm. I'd rather just like slide by in the shadow well, yeah with all your kids though you know you're going to draw attention so you might as well just walk around with a bunch of tomahawks <laughs> okay they're already looking at you <laughs> okay yeah that's a that's uh, probably true uh if you were going to conceal carry a tomahawk how would you do it um so i have made some shoes that hang under the arm like nice. that so it'd be like a shoulder holster. that's what i was thinking that's what i was so. thinking so a revolver on one side no and a tomahawk on the other i mean I would never carry a gun in a shoulder holster. <laughs> the only reason yeah, that's just I would... one more place to carry a gun, though. Okay, I guess. Why limit yourself? You know, hip, hip, appendix, <laughs> six, chest, shoulder, right. strapped. Yeah. So, um, yeah, under the armpit would be a legit way to carry it. The draw I, would be tough, huh? Uh, 
well, so you'd have to wear a cover garment, obviously. Yep. Um, and I, I did it. I actually made a, uh, a buddy of mine, Seth, um, a sheath for an axe different from, from this one that I designed to where he could carry it under his armpit if he wanted to just rip it and yep just rip it out um but i don't carry a rifle in public and i often do not carry since you don't want to be that guy tomahawk in public you know the old open carry ar-15 guy everybody loves him (laughs) don't want to be that guy um i did practice while i was up north i was practicing carrying a smaller tomahawk than that and not just carrying it in my pants you know, along the hip like that, but actually drawing it and throwing it too. What um, is the distance uh, at which you're accurate throwing a tomahawk? I am not a professional axe thrower. And so like, I would never trust that to work in gotcha. real life. If I was... But it'd be sick if it did. Huh? Yes, you it would I mean? absolutely be Kind of like, worth risking it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of. There's like, a hostage, but if I save the hostage with a tomahawk right. throw, it's worth it. Yeah, that would definitely be free drinks for the rest of your life <laughs> um, if you pulled that one off. And so, again, like, if there's distance, if I have time and distance, I'd always default to a pistol. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, uh, let's go. What is the difference between... A quote unquote high end knife and a middle of the road high end, like Benchmade, Spyderco to Gerber, right? Because you got basically three price points or three tiers. Yeah. So you know what I mean? You have. What are we actually talking about here? Material would be the first one, right? So if material is equal, then it's going to be labor. How skilled is the person that's making it? Uh, What processes are they doing properly? What testing are they doing on it? Um, Everything that I make gets uh, very hard to to the point of failure testing. Um, As proven today. Yeah. Perfectly good tomahawk. Broke it. Yep. Um, So my goal, and if I can't break it, you know, if it's something that can't be broken on a skull or a piece of ice or a bone or something like that, I'll put it in the bench vise and just snap it off because I want to know, one, I want to make sure that heat treat spot on. So I like when I was talking to you about grain structure and the grain structure looks nice and fine. Um, we could put that under a microscope and really evaluate the grain structure. But to the naked eye, it looks like I was spot on with the heat treat. And I make notes on everything that I do. Um, so I'm able to replicate it. I'm the best beer. So I also brew beer. The best beer that I brew, uh, was a fly by the seat of your pants. Didn't do it. Uh, I didn't follow a recipe. It was art. Precisely. Yeah, it was art and it was awesome. Yeah, it was. And then I was not able to replicate it. Yeah, but here's the thing. It was for that moment, you know? And the next one that you do by the seat of your pants, it's for the next moment. It, sometimes those come out like total disaster. It's like Southern though. Kitchen. Yeah, I know, but that's 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 what the moment was for. A crazy story of terrible beer. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's still... What's your best beer, broadly speaking, that you can re- replicate? Um, I, Like a barley wine. I, I, I really like the is. Strongs. Are you a beer guy? 
Well, apparently not. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, I like, like, the Belgian Strongs. Okay. Um, well, barley wines, stuff like that. Cool. Apparently, I just know nothing. If you're going to go to uh, Winco and uh, just get, like, a four-pack or a bomber, a Brother Leonidas. Brother Leonidas. Yeah. No. Brother... Thelonious. Thelonious. Yeah, I'm conflating things again. <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, stouts. Okay, yeah. So I like stouts as well. So these would be stouts with like stouts and mouthfeel. Okay. Um, so like that real creamy yep. um, mouthfeel, but then like a kick on the back end. So the alcohol content is much stronger. We're talking like, like 9%, alcohol. 11%, yeah, yeah. like that kind of a stuff kind of stuff okay so um some people feel like they taste like bread dough um like my wife does not like the belgian strongs at all okay uh, that's to me like a barley wine is the best beer in my opinion you get that alcohol burn you get that real creamy mouth texture but you can't drink a lot of them you know if you're trying not to be a drunk a drunk yeah Given to dissipation. <laughs> hey, quite a dissipated yeah. to me. Dissipatement to me. But let's be honest, right? We drink alcohol because it does do something chemically. Sure. And anybody that says that they're drinking it solely for the taste alone. Uh, Baloney. Yeah. yeah. I do, and, I, and, you know, like, oh, uh, where, where's the line in terms of too much? Well, you just don't drink to where it's affecting you. First of all, it, that's the point. And two, it's the point biblically yeah. It's for gladness of heart. What does that mean? It got you to a golden zone, dog. Yeah. Yeah. So and yes, I'm going to drive home in the golden zone. It's going to make the drive more pleasant. Yeah. You can absolutely overdo it, um, but I don't think abstinence is the... Like, God didn't create us to abstain from things. He created us Amen. to enjoy things, right? And so there's a time and a place to abstain from something, and then there's a time and a place to enjoy that thing. Exactly. Um, and so I think... Heroin in moderation, baby. <laughs> by all means. If it does... No, come on, come no, on. I was no. being obnoxious. No, you were, but I say by all means. Heroin in moderation? Sure. What does that mean? Why not? What does that mean? What does alcohol in moderation mean? If it's not becoming an idol to you, if it's not controlling your thoughts, your desires, your actions, uh -huh. and you can use it and still behave in an ethical and moral way, why shouldn't you? Uh, ban on divination and a category of drug being... Uh... Pharmakia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you don't take aspirin either, right? Uh, no, every once in a while, sure. Okay. That's a pharmaceutical. Uh -huh. That's a drug. That would fit under the broad banner of pharmakia. So lots of stuff can be thrown right under pharmakia, including aspirin and Tylenol and steroids and um, Metamucil. What would be uh, an appropriate, an example of an appropriate use of, like, let's say, a psychedelic? Oh boy, that's a conversation that we could. Should we table it? Uh, yeah, I think we should have a part two talking okay. about psychedelics. Okay, cool. So let's go back to knives then. That was trippy. <laughs> uh all right uh okay skill Wh where am i gonna really see i get well i guess i'm gonna see it in the fight you know the the those differences between mass-produced chinese thing and spider co and then your kind of knife okay so really it's gonna come down to um remember i was talking about i don't like rough edges on my tools 
Okay. I don't leave you with rough edges. So um, that's what it's really going to come down to. Because they can use a Chinese sweatshop, can use the exact same material. They can use the exact same heat treat process. Um, they can, and if they're doing everything on a CNC, they're actually going to have a cleaner product at the end of the day. Like it's going to be more exact and it is going to be, uh, everyone's going to be exactly the same. And there's nothing wrong with a production knife at all. Like the vast majority, you and I were talking earlier, the vast majority of people that are killed by knives or knife-like objects are killed with, uh, tools like screwdrivers, um, you know, scratch awls or off the shelf kitchen knives, right? That you buy at Walmart. Um, that's the vast majority of people are killed. So uh, why is my knife better than a screwdriver? You might as well just ask me that. And it comes down to, um, it's a handmade American product and you are, uh, you're buying into more than just the tool itself. You're, you're buying into my lifestyle and your the constitution. You're, yeah. You're buying into America, baby. Buy, you're buying into Christendom. Yeah, that too. Um, so if you love Jesus and America, <laughs> you will buy one of my knives. Hey, so because I'm a I'm a I'm a good friend, I was promoting your company to a guy at a at a gun shop, uh, Faith Outdoors in Nampa, mm. because we were talking about different things and knives came up, and I was like, oh, I know a knife guy. Let me show you stuff. Yeah. And he, I'm showing him your Instagram, and he's like, oh, Tractor Dan. Tractor Dan. Right. Yep. Now, I don't know who that guy is, yep. but this guy says of him that he's selling the same knife that you're making for like $2,000. And I was like, oh, well, what's the difference? He's like, well, probably because he's a Navy SEAL or something. What, what is your opinion of the difference between your knife and a $2,000 knife? Okay, so again, we'd start with material. Um, is he legitimately making a $2,000 product? I'm a capitalist, so... Is it worth $2,000 to me? Absolutely not. Like that is, it would be irresponsible of, of me to spend that kind of money on a knife. Because it's the same product? I wouldn't, I'm not going to say that at all. Well, if, if off the record, would you claim it was the same product? <laughs> uh, uh, no, saying, off the record, I wouldn't say it's the same product. You say off the record, you can so, just say it. The Tigo and the Blood Shark are two different knives. They've been conflated by many people. I touch mark. Everything that comes off of my anvil has my touch mark on it. It will never be um, thought to be somebody else's work. I mark all my work. Um, and so uh, I have been – I'm not going to go into that. The, the long and short of it is um, if I make a drop point or a spear point knife that is the same shape, um, or similar shape and I make it out of the same material and I make it, I do the same heat treat process. I do the same type of handle wrapping or scales and then mine costs $200 and his costs $2,000. I'll let you tell me what the difference is. Ultimately the difference is name recognition and scarcity. Yeah. Supply and demand. Yeah. And I guess beyond that, it, we were talking about, um, fighting earlier and, you can get even lesser fights that are like better fights, more entertaining, but they make less money because there's less story surrounding it. So 
you know, there's the marketing side of it. Absolutely. People live vicariously through the things that they buy. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so uh, I'm not saying that everybody that buys a tracker, Dan, I impulsively buy ballet shoes. I don't use them because I'm not a queer, (laughs) but I vicariously use them. (laughs) I'm not saying everyone that buys a tracker, Dan wants to be a Navy SEAL or like wants to buy into that or, you know, be a part of that because they own something that he made. But at, at the same time, you're supporting him. You're affirming his lifestyle, his choices. And so in a certain sense, everybody that buys my knives um, essentially kind of buys a little bit of stock in my company. Too. Yeah. And, so, um, and that's what you're going to say about Winkler. That's what you're going to say about Amtac. Um. Well, I think there's a little I'm bit... I'm not asking you to talk shit. I'm just trying to understand, like, what is this landscape? You know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I don't know the knife world. Supply and demand. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, name recognition. Um, who the person is. Supporting the person because of who they are by purchasing their um, wares. That all comes into play. Um, you know, Winkler, he makes his stuff. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think that um, some some knife sellers or some companies that sell knives, they don't necessarily make them. Um, so they're more or less. They're selling it. Maybe they designed it, yeah, or yeah. were in- instrumental. Are you saying in that about design. Amtec? No, I'm not okay. saying that about anybody in, in particular. Okay, come on, dude. <laughs> I'm just saying that. Uh, you think they're going to listen to this anyway? They're not going to come at you. It's, I live by a certain code that I just don't talk shit about people. Gotcha. I love talking shit about people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be fun. It can be entertaining. Um, I just don't do it. Okay. Uh, we'll go back to your knives then. Or I don't even, like, I shouldn't have even said I don't talk shit about people. I don't talk about other people's business. Like, that's them. I'll never. Well, you're taking that too literalistically, right? Talking to somebody, somebody else's business, that's like their personal life. We're literally talking about their business. Right. But I don't <laughs> We're dis- talking about their business. I don't draw a distinction. I don't draw a distinction. That's fair game. <laughs> so I'll give you an example. I have people all the time that ask me about other knife like makers uh-huh. or like uh, <laughs> and like I just I don't, I don't get other people's business. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't talk about other people's business. I'll do my thing. If you like it, buy it. You know? Cool. Uh and yeah, that's a that's a philosophy plenty of people take, you know, in all sorts of spheres. Uh, when it comes to like politics and stuff like that, I'll talk about people's business all day long because they put yeah they put themselves in that sphere. Yeah. So it's not that I'm unwilling to talk shit about people, just like trades people. I just I would rather tell you why to buy mine rather than why not to buy. There's theirs. something. So if somebody had a pattern of being a shyster, you'd tell people. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. If somebody, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's just unethical and immoral. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, how much uh, do I need to know about handles? You need to know what feels good to you, and you need to know what is not going to come out of your hand when it's wet. Gotcha. Well, that would be a user error, right? You shouldn't have let go. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... Like this, these clinch picks that I modified, I wish that I had, I wish that I still had one that wasn't modified, but a bulbous and smooth thing is not what you, you don't want a bulbous smooth 
scales on a knife that you are presumably going to be using that's going to hopefully get slick with your enemy's blood. Yeah. Well, you could lick it off and then it would... Well, yeah, yeah, in the middle of it. A <laughs> <laughs> BJ Penn um, action. So... So you want edges. What, so yeah, what I edges. want is texture. Um, and what is this material right here? This is a G10. Is that so just plastic? A G10 is a fiberglass laminate. Okay. So it's a bunch of layers of fiberglass mesh with an epoxy. And that's um, why you get the cool design because you've cut into it. Yeah, so this one is actually like a multicolored one. Okay. And that's why you get all those cool, cool little color differences. I actually prefer cord wrap. Um because it almost gets stickier when it's wet. Um, and you gotta it's clean not, it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's, my daughter, she's got a knife and she's like, I think there's still some chicken guts in this thing <laughs> because it's a cord wrap. So G10, much more sanitary. It's a uh, closed surface, waterproof surface so you can wash it easily. Cord wrap, not so much, you know, there's a lot of crevices for stuff to go How many into. types of tomahawks do you make? Um, so this is the Gypsy Hawk, and then I also just have an unnamed um, kind of Norse-looking axe design. And then I make traditional, um, like, straight-up Indian status What would be tomahawks. the difference between this Gypsy tomahawk and your Viking tomahawk? Uh, that is a dual use, so weapon and tool. This is just straight up like weapon. This is designed for one thing. What's the difference? Uh, the, what's the difference that makes that also for tools? It's got like a Phillips head on the back instead of a spike. Like what are we talking? About? Uh, no, so it has. So this is a reverse. This is fairly unique. I don't think anybody else is doing this, as far as I know. I haven't come across. That's it. kind of like talking about the people's business. You know what I mean? Just in a broad sense. You talked about everyone else's business. Okay, so I'm talking about everybody's in the <laughs> Everyone's very a failure <laughs> except me. I'm the only one that does this. Uh, no. <laughs> I, so, I'm going to harp on that. <laughs> <laughs> so the reverse edge, um, there are, like Tracker Dan, again, going back to him, actually, he has a tomahawk called the Gray Matter. Don't know if he designed it or if it was a Winkler design or not because Winkler also uses that tip. So... I was convinced my tip was going to be much stronger because it, it structurally is still connected. Theirs kind of just hangs out here and then does this little thing and then it drops back down into this. Uh, almost like a talon? Yeah, almost. Yeah, almost like a talon. And then a more traditional rounded um, blade. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. So this is designed, one, I thought it would be more structurally um I thought it would just be stronger, stru more strong structurally, uh, leaving it connected and doing that reverse edge. Um, but it is definitely designed for meat, um, just to get working on meat. Man, that would hurt like a son of a gun. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, just right, right through the thigh. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so... Which do you like more, your your Norse tomahawk or this one? Oh man! So the the Norse one is just kind of made for everybody. This I made for me. Like this is to my hand, and it sounds like it fit your hand pretty nicely as well. Or I just don't have but much sense, you know. Ergonomically, um, this is just. Can you show me what? Awesome. I, know, I know this is audio, not visual, but like you're in the clinch. Your your kind of go to instinctive motion on the choke up looks like what? Um, so it'd just be just a straight up yep. punch. 
Yeah, so that would be, I don't know if you um, know anything about boxing or not. Do you? Well, more than someone who knows nothing. Okay, so what are you? what's your point of contact? What are you aiming to hit them with? What am, I, what am I aiming to hit yeah. them with? Right there. Okay. Right? So a lot of people don't know how to throw a punch. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people sure. don't know how to throw a punch. And so those first two knuckles, that's your point of contact. That's what you're attempting to hit somebody with. Okay. Um, and then the same thing. So that would just transition to right there. Yeah. That Sick. Yeah. In terms of your knives, just raw number, how many different types of knives do you make? Hmm. Different types. I would have uh, the Little Nasty, which is... That was my nickname in middle school. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that would be the uh, that very slender... No chuckle. Nothing. Gosh. <laughs> I, I did. You gave me nothing. You're <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> no, okay. Stupid joke. You probably told it to me about Dana Emmett. <laughs> okay. I wonder if you did. You might have. I probably did, dude. <laughs> ah, I'm reusing my material. Okay, so the, the Little Nasty... Uh, in addition to being Dave's middle school nickname, <laughs> is also um, almost like a Fairbairn Sykes type of dagger, yeah, very slender, well, triangular. Means. So it's that one that I would... No, yeah, I've, I, just, I saw okay. it, but what? Fairbairn Sykes? Fairbairn. Yeah, so that would be like that classical dagger, like that long dagger okay. shape. Um, so I do the little nasty, do the Tigo. The Tigo would be a multi-use. Um, can you pause? Yeah, you pause? we're going to go look at the knives. Well, I'll just bring some out. All right, cool. We're going to take okay. a break. Uh, this is uh, brought to you by the Love Revolution. Shout out to Ron Paul, and we're going to have some <laughs> knives. We're back from break. Thank you, Ron Paul. And here with Aaron Birch of Gypsy EDC, looking at different types of knives he makes. Okay, so I would say I do three different types of knives. That's a little nasty. Yep. Just the straight, double edge. Yep. Um, and so I also do offer them in a single edge format um, for, you know, places like California where a double edge would be illegal. A double edge knife is illegal in California? Yeah. Sick. Yep. Yeah. Um, or you can go with the partial spine, which is actually my preference. So it's double edged about two or about a third of the way back to about there. That's allowed. Not in California. That would okay. still be technically a double edge. But um, my preference, I like that because of ease of penetration. Um, but then still, um, I don't think that it is necessary to have the double edge all the way back. Okay. Again, laceration is secondary to puncture. Gotcha. So that's that would be why you don't do a lot of serration? Yes. Yep. Serration does more nasty damage on the laceration because yeah. it's less clean yep so okay and it's there's more surface area yeah right, too so if you're going for laceration serration's better yeah if you're going for puncture it's just not necessary and not only part of the sharpen not only is it not necessary but it can be deleterious you can have a harpooning effect um to where it doesn't allow you to retrieve your knife to use again um, so that's one of the reasons that I went away from sharpening choils as well. So this is an older knife. That's a sharpening choil there. Um, in my opinion, 
They're used in the industry primarily to cover up um, plunge line mistakes. Uh, that's just my opinion. What is a plunge line? These are plunge lines here, see? So you gotta be symmetrical. All my knives are ground by hand, by eye, by feel. Um, so this piece of metal and a grinder, and then I do scribe marks on the blade so that I can keep things centered. But like, that's a pretty dang clean yep. plunge line as they come together. Um, you know, very symmetrical, yep. very clean. That's what you want. Well, if you can't, if you can't control that, shit, you just file a notch right there. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. Um, so now, again, that can cause a harpooning situation where that acts as a barb. You know, you get stuck on a rib or something. You're trying to get that out, and maybe you can't get it out. And if you can't get it out, you can't use it again. This is the mini death finger. Um, so the death finger was the first knife that I made. Uh, you came up with that name? Yep. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, mini death finger. So death finger was the first knife. Um, I don't think that I even have, like, I might. I don't think I have any around at the moment, um, even in a roughed out state. Um, so death finger, just imagine this, but scaled up handle yeah. about the same size, but blade, you know, about an inch and a half longer. Now that's the one in your uh, left hand is more of a talon shape. Yep. This, What's the benefit of the talon shape? Now? This is the mini rip. Again, we're going to, to nature and seeing in nature hooking yeah. and then once you stick them, you can really control. Yeah. Um, you can control them really good with that kind of a shape. Yeah. My like everyday carry knife right now is talon shape, but it's serrated. Mm -hmm. So obviously, it's beyond me not, to know how to sharpen it correctly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after the death finger came the gypsy ripper. Okay. Um, and the first gypsy ripper, I called I called it the jack ripper first. Um, so my, you got like a copyright issue, so you changed the name. <laughs> yeah, Universal came out. He's like, "Hey, that's my big, name." Big deal. Um, I go kind of macabre to like knife stuff, right? Because knives, like, they're dirty. They're dirty. They're personal, uh, up close, and um, like, if you're gonna kill somebody with a knife, like, that's a very personal thing. And so, hey, I just keep it light and, you know, so like the little nasty, I have another one that's kind of a modified Warncliffe. It's called the little bastard, um, mini rip, gypsy ripper, then the death finger, obviously. And then you get to the Tigo, which is a great weapon, but it's also just a great all around knife. It comes in three sizes. So you got the mini, which was an axe, and the first one I made, I buggered up the tip on a, a regular size Tigo, and then rather than throwing it away, um, I just cut it off and rebeveled it, and hey, that's pretty cool. And this is actually probably my favorite just all-around like utility knife this size. So a two-and-a-half-inch blade, three-and-a-half-inch blade, and then like four and three quarter and then there's going to be variations every time uh hand grind them you know so i say plus or minus um the is is the general idea the bigger the blade the better 
with the caveat of being able to carry it comfortably and concealed, right? So, so that's your beef smaller, with the knife. Yeah, a smaller knife is better if you carry it and you don't carry a bigger knife. A bigger knife is better if you are going to carry that. I have. You're going to want the biggest, biggest knife possible to fight. Absolutely. But you have to carry it to have it in the fight. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so, um, like, I have a friend that has no problem carrying a G34, which is, like, the long slide Glock. I don't even like carrying a G17, so, um, I mean, ideally, I wouldn't even carry a G19. I really like the G43X. Um, and if you're carrying that and you're carrying the shield arms 15 round magazine why would you carry the g19 at that point over the 43x so um i default to smaller knives because they're more comfortable they're easy to carry this is about the little nasty is about the biggest knife that i carry on a consistent basis or or the the tigo xl i guess actually is a little bit longer Tigo, you carry, you carry both of those. Yeah, yeah. This so this would be the Tigo XL would be the biggest knife that I carry on any regular basis, and that would be like oh, just shy of five inches. Which of these knives do you conceal in your pants? Uh, I actually carry a tomahawk in my ponytail. <laughs> if you know me, you know that I have very beautiful long locks <laughs> of hair and no male pattern baldness at all. These uh, these come in just blocks of steel. Um, so sheets. Okay. Yeah. So um, typically you're buying it in widths. I mean, you can buy like a four by eight sheet of steel, um, but typically I'm dealing in stuff that's significantly smaller than that. Okay. It's a, it's it's just a rectangular sheet, and where where do you go from? sheet to finished product so it totally depends on something um you know you could go you could go straight from sheet to cutting it out on the bandsaw um or you can you can speed up the process and minimize the waste more by using a cnc controlled thing so um some knives are cut out via water jet the things that i make a lot of are, are cut out that way and then the things that I don't make quite so much of are cut out individually on a bandsaw. Um, what is Damascus steel and why do I know it that or know of the, that term? Um, so Damascus is a laminate uh, which is called Damascus because it was um, a trade good. Um, and I guess came out of like Damascus area. Um, so it's a laminate typically, it can be a laminate of any kind of steel. It could be all the same steel, but many layers of it. Um, That's all you mean by form, laminate? Yeah. Forge welded. Very so, thinly yeah, layered lots, and compressed. Lots of layers. Um, and that just makes it stronger? Typically, well, it, it did back in the day. So Damascus is not going to be stronger than like modern steels so when people you know selling like a super expensive knife like damascus steel it's just because it's a marketing thing well and it's aesthetically pleasing it's all colored yeah so if you're if you're doing like uh, the most common one like when i do damascus it's typically like 15 and 20 which is a high nickel content um and then either 1095 1084 10 series or maybe like an 01 
I've made one Damascus billet by hand and I will never do it again. It absolutely just about destroyed my shoulders. Um, mad respect for people who are making knives 200 years ago, 300 years ago, a thousand years ago, um, with heat and force because it just is incredibly physically taxing on your body to do that, to forge weld layer after layer after layer after layer. Cause you can't take a break cause it's going to think cool wrong so you oh no i mean you do definitely take breaks but it's just like whack it whack it whack it cut it stack it weld it whack it whack it whack it um to build up those layers takes a tremendous amount of physical effort um so i don't have a power hammer the only way i would ever do my own damascus again is with a power hammer uh, it's just much better just buy a billet that somebody else made with a power hammer. Um, it's in, yeah, just incredible amount of effort goes into making that. Um, so different types of steel. There's like new steels every so often. Uh, the technology in in and uh, steel manufacturing just keeps getting better and better and better. Um, and so you have these things called super steels that are coming out. Um, and that would be the best designated by the word super. Yeah. Theoretically the best, right? The most abrasion resistant, the hardest, but without being brittle. Um, most people don't need it. Um, frankly, I think that some of it is just about status like, oh, I got the new, you know, best, latest, and greatest kind oh, the of thing. super steel. Yeah. Um, so I am, I, I use AEBL, stainless, uh, 0101 uh, tool steel is my absolute favorite steel. It's just very forgiving, um, especially when you're forging with it. it you can um, get away with not babying it as much as some other steels. Um, I am going to be doing some of these axes in CPM S35VN, uh, which is, I don't know if it's technically a super steel now, but it's a really, really cool, like very high grade um, stainless steel. Uh, so looking forward to doing that. Um, but the so the, these would be these would all be except for this one maybe um, would all be relatively simple steels high carbon steels um, and you can do that with relatively low technology right so uh, the 35 the s35 and uh, you're looking at having to do a preheat ramp up heat treat triple temper um, and we're tempering at really pretty high temperature like between 750 and a thousand degrees the tempering process occurs and I was telling you about that earlier that's that stress relief portion of the heat treatment because when you quench it it becomes extremely brittle um, and so you do have to give that stress relief there's a ton of science that you can get into a ton of technical data um, that's really like really interesting to me might not be interesting to everybody but if you're just starting out you can't go wrong with just some simple 10 series 
um, or 01, 5160. 5160 is a little bit more temperamental. 01 or 10 series steel is what you can do with a forge and a barrel, a quick quench, you know, and a little oven for, for tempering. Um, knife maintenance. What does somebody need to know? Take care of the knife. Totally depends on where you live. So I get people. Idaho. Yeah, Idaho, you can carry any kind of steel you want. Like, I mean, look at that International. It's got that 48 International has a bunch of exposed metal that's barely rusted at all. Um, so I carry high carbon all the time and barely do anything to, main, and to maintain it. Uh, if I use it, right, I'm going to wash it with just dish soap, like a gentle dish soap, and re-oil it. If you live in the coast, like the Gulf Coast, um, you know, you want to maybe consider going with a stainless. If you're not going with a stainless, you know, maybe your maintenance uh, schedule is a little bit different and you're putting oil on it. Can I use the same oil I use on my gun? Yeah, you can really use anything. Okay. Like I use, when I send a knife out, it goes out uh, coated with uh, food-grade coconut oil. Nice. Yeah. Um, you put some in your coffee in the morning and then some on your knife. Don't do the oil in the coffee. That's some nasty shit. My little brother did that bulletproof coffee. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. like, oh, no, man, you froth it up and it's super good. Yeah, I tried delicious, it. It's oh, delicious, man. No, you're, but you're used you to You got to go Kerrygold butter. Okay. Frost yeah. up. You're used to it. That's why. That intermittent fasting okay. live, dog. Did, did, you, did you think it was delicious the first time you had it or were you like trying to clear it out of your No, throat? it was delicious the first time I had it. But I mean, I was also like in a super granola phase. So I would have told you much, like pretty much anything was delicious. Okay. Raw liver was delicious. Uh, cooked liver is pretty good. But uh, yeah, it's not my thing. Um, okay. Last question. Uh, all right. Somebody's listening. He's a gun guy, so he's he's carrying his pistol all the time, and he's got, you know, his rifle at home. He's a gun guy, and he he's got a pocket knife, mm -hmm. right? But he's like, you know what? I want to kill somebody up close and personal. I want to be a knife guy too. He buys one knife from you, uh, obviously from you, and not these other crappy businesses because, like, let's be real, you know what I mean? <laughs> but what what knife is he buying, and and um, where where should he think about carrying, assuming it's comfortable and whatnot? Um, so I would, if I was only going to carry one knife for everything, it would be just the standard size Tigo. So, uh, four inch, no, three and a half inch blade, um, probably wouldn't even bother with the double edge at all. So this one has a partial double edge on it. Um, I'd probably just go with a single edged. That's so you can kind of multi-use it. Yeah. Because yeah. again, like if, if you have to be all things you know, in all situations, you're going to be cutting your food. You're going to be cutting rope. You're going to be, you know, doing a lot with Apples. It. Yeah. So probably don't want to go with a reverse edge. So the Gypsy Ripper and the Mini Rip, those are both reverse edge. And then the uh, the Little Nasty, the geometry on it, it, it's a weapon. It was designed to be a weapon, not a multi-use tool. That's why you call it the Little Nasty. Yeah. A little Nasty Bugger. Yeah, it's little, it's nasty. And... Uh, yeah, it's designed to poke holes in people. These holes in the tang, mm -hmm. any utility there? Um, so this would be for glue-on scale. And so we want the epoxy to go through there. And on the back side of the scale, we'll put dimples in that too. Um, just to have a really good um, connection. Um, for... Uh, oh, 
real, real quick aside, if I was going to perform a circumcision, which knife should I use? I would go with that scalpel that I should scalpel. Get early. Sweet. Yeah. And then in terms of, but why would you circumcise someone? <laughs> you know, good question. I think my brother convinced me against it. Honestly, it was uh, primarily aesthetic. Okay. Yeah, I didn't want uh, didn't want my future theoretical kids to have funky looking, uh, you know, Hardware. genitalia. Yeah. yeah. So it like full circle, right? We come back. I don't know. Were you getting ready to well, press pause? Well, stop real quick before we go full yeah. circle on circumcision. Yeah, and then we can then we can bring it to a close. But uh, lanyard carry. What would you carry on? A, you know, first so EDC. I've got maybe something on my hip, and I also have a lanyard. Probably a razor snail. A razor snail. What's yeah, that? Yeah. So that is a production. Um, just right, take a little a little tour. So the razor snail is just a production. It's a TSA compliant tool um, with the razor blade removed. But with the razor blade in place, it's uh, machined out of aluminum right here in Idaho, anodized right here in Idaho. Villain Tool machines these for me. Um, you throw a razor blade on there, you got that, boom, middle finger, uh, right to the throat. Sweet. It's a cutter. Um, that's what I'd carry on a lanyard. Do you carry uh, those brass knuckles with you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, the reality is this is more like a conversation or, like, fiddle piece. For me. Or because, like if someone slaps you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do I want to test them on somebody? <laughs> sure, of course. Right? I would love to be forced into a situation where I had to pummel somebody with a set of brass knuckles. But I'd walk away. Okay, and bring this conversation to a close with whatever you're going to say about genitalia. Yeah, so circumcision. Um, you said a couple things. You talked about membership, and then you also talked about circumcision. I believe baptism takes the place of circumcision, and that is our membership in the body of Christ. And that's it. Amen. Any closing words on knives for people? Um, if you're going to buy one, train with it, right? Don't Just like a gun, you got to put in the reps to be proficient. So, that's so like, when I'm training with a gun... I go to the range, shoot at a target, move laterally, shoot at a target, you know, practice malfunctions. I mean, how do you train with a knife? And, and it feels like one of those things that it's like, okay, if I don't put 20 years into this thing, I'm like a girl going to a self-defense class. Yeah, totally disagree. Okay. Um, so what I'm talking about primarily with training. Yeah. Oh, yeah, is... dude, your take was totally retarded. Right. <laughs> force on force. Um, if you're going to carry it, right, know how to access it. So... Get it in a sheet the same way that you'd carry it. Practice drawing it. Practice drawing it when you're on the ground, when you have somebody hugging you. Um, so force on force is completely overlooked. Folder. Get yourself a trainer folder too if you're carrying a folder. Um, so these are trainer knives because they don't have an edge. Correct. But yep. you can still just like hit your brother in the temple with it. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't ever want to go full. Um, we don't ever want to go full speed. We want to go more than touch because pain is a huge motivator. And so um, it's only beneficial to you if it hurts you. Yeah, that's why my dad used heat. <laughs> oh, I don't know where that went. Yeah. We just lost a knife. It's, it'll show up. Um, so I do oh, primarily, I on it. Oh. primarily, I do force on force with my kids. Okay. And so they're always the aggressor. Okay. So they always have the advantage. 
And then all I'm trying to do is access my tools so I don't actually take them out and start beating on them. Uh, do you ever just lay on top of your kid and make him access his knife? No. Okay. <laughs> That'd be sick training. <laughs> yeah. I was not lay on top of him. I was I'll doing jujitsu a little bit. And I would always try to pick like the biggest guy. Yeah. Because I had no offense, but I was like, I'm going to be stubborn and not tap out. Well, what's your ben- What's like the the best way for you to learn is to fail. Yeah. That's the best way. That, well, like, except when the guy your size learn. just laid on my face and I was this close to suffocating because I had no air. Right. And I did tap. Okay. So yeah, yes, anything it, other it, than it, suffocation <laughs> made me panic. Right. In that sense, of course, you're obviously going to tap out. But my point is, again, train to failure. Train to failure. Don't make yourself feel good when you're training. It's not an attaboy or pat you on the back. It's, a, it's an opportunity to actually learn something worth learning. Yeah. My whole life then has really just been training. Honestly, it's been strategic. It's, it's made me better. <laughs> failure after failure after failure. It's on purpose to self-improve. All, all these successful people out there, are they getting better? No, they're just succeeding. I'm over here failing, getting better. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for letting me come to your shop and, and talk about your business with you. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Uh, another episode of Stone Mountain Media. Dave here with Aaron Birch, founder, CEO, president. Customer service. Customer service. Doesn't talk about any other business or people's business, however you want to take that. Gypsy, EDC, full and partial tang knives and tomahawks available (laughs) to you. Check them out on Instagram. Uh, Do you have a website? Yeah, gypsyedc.com. Gypsyedc.com. Until next time, go with God and uh, get all up close and personal with your enemies.